Hi, I'm Tina Spangler with TLC Barrels and welcome to my podcast. This podcast is weekly and it's made for my virtual coaching group. Today is September 12th of 2023 and this is number 161 Q&A. And uh, welcome back Kayla and Rayla as a rejoin. Uh, so far, the personal best list for September already has six names on it. So congratulations to those of you that have had good runs the last couple weekends or had a personal best. Congratulations. And please always let me know if you have a personal best. It can be a fast time in an arena that you normally go to or just something you've accomplished on your pattern or in your training that you're proud of. And once a month, we will acknowledge everybody and draw a name. So congratulations to everyone so far. Um, so let's see here. As I'm going to go ahead and get into the topic today in the Q&A, I do want to mention that a lot of times what I see um, when I have writers that come for regular lessons is I really see how much they progress. So I want you to think of it like this. Um, whether you take lessons regularly, I really think youth writers need to take lessons regularly. And I'll tell you why. If you think about kids sports, even college sports, high school sports, um, junior high sports, they, you know, they go to practice after school almost four days a week and usually have one game, maybe five days a week, and then usually have one game a week as well. And if you'll notice, they, um, the coaches don't have them play, you know, competitions full blown out games every week. Sometimes they just do conditioning like running laps or strength training or combination. Sometimes they have them work on drills. You know, if you're volleyball, maybe spiking or setting up each other, you know, in basketball, maybe it's, you know, different offensive, defensive moves, shooting from different places. You know, everything's a little bit different. So it's the same thing when you're barrel racing. I don't think you should be over drilling really finished open horses but maybe horses that have holes in their foundation or horses that are learning education with speed or maybe horse and rider teams that are just not quite in sync with each other yet, those riders may do more than just conditioning during the week where the really solid open horse, you may just be having a little simpler routine of three or four days a week of long trotting and face flexing and some bending and suppling drills just to keep them healthy and fit. And, you know, maybe once a week you walk the pattern or maybe once a week you do a drill that's helpful, like a big circle, small circle or something where you're using the same muscles you use in a run. But obviously if you're on a younger horse and you're patterning them, you're going to do the pattern more days a week. If you're on a novice horse or open horse that's still a work in progress, you may do more drills and dry work um, and things like that. It's going to vary. So, and the same thing if you're a youth rider, I really feel like um, it helps to get weekly lessons or at least monthly and have homework. I don't think you should be competing on the weekend if you haven't ridden three days during the week. <clears throat> One, you're not prepared and two, your horse is not fit enough um, and it's not safe. They could hurt themselves just like if you were to go run a marathon this weekend, but you don't, you know, jog during the week. Um, it's just not the same. Horses are not needing aerobic exercise as much as anaerobic because we do fast sprints, but they still have to have those muscles conditioned enough. And then, of course, thank God we're just 20 days maybe or less till fall weather, and hopefully we'll be getting cooler weather as well. Um, so that will help 
horses feel better too. So just keep that in mind. Um, as a trainer, I would work client horses five days a week in order to make progress. And then I'd usually have them have one or two days off a week, usually the weekend if I was competing on my own horses, or I would haul them for exhibitions or entering as well. Um, now my personal horses usually only got worked three or four days a week. Um, but but training horses, definitely five days a week and usually one less than a week with their owners as well. So just keep that in mind if you're wanting to make progress. Certainly, um, you can't make progress if you don't practice. Anything that you do, you'll anything that you do regularly, consistently with enough repetition, you will get better at it. It's just like the first time you do something you haven't done in a while, it feels awkward and uncomfortable. But the more you do it, it just becomes like brushing your hair or brushing your teeth, you rarely even have to think about it and you have a lot of confidence. So, and it's the same with barrel racing training. You don't want to go faster than you're prepared for. Um, you need to season to different kinds of arenas, all of that stuff. So I just wanted to mention that. And reminders for the group. Um, last week, our um, challenges for September started with mind control of thoughts and feelings. So I hope you wrote down your top 10 things you're grateful for and you keep those in the top of your mind every day when you wake up. I hope at any time a negative thought creeped into your, ha your head, you wrote it down and applied a positive to it. So that was um, what we worked on for last week's writing assignment. This last week also was I posted videos in the group on eyes and voice for writer cues because that's our skill challenge this month is writer cues for eyes and voice. So the videos are posted in the group. Remember, all these videos can also be found at tlcbarrels.com, members only page using your username and password as well. And again, that's for members only. And um, let's see here. The uh, September challenges continue and every week we're going to add something new. So this week, the rider cues is hand cues. So hand cues for barrel racing and training can really rattle people sometimes. So I'm posting videos in the group this week on hands. So be sure to watch that. Our um, mindset writing challenge this week is going to be to write down your goals for the last four months of this year, the last quarter of 2023, and make sure you you know know what you want to accomplish for the last four months and write it down and, and go for it. Okay, so I have about 20 videos that came in. I did some on Sunday, and of course, some of you sent me multiple videos, you know, two, two videos. Um, so I'm working on them. I worked on some on Sunday after my lessons and I did like 10 yesterday and I have another 10 to go today. So I'll be working on those as soon as I finish this um, Q&A. So um, let's see here. What else did I want to talk about? Didn't want to skip anything. I think that's about it. Um, so let's see here. On q and I didn't get too many questions this week. Um, so the questions that came in were about uh, conditioning after time off. So if you had a veterinarian break, your your horse was on stall rest or something due to a, maybe a, a tendon or ligament issue or whatever it is, follow your veterinarian's recommendations to the T because every horse is going to be unique and different. And some may be you know, allowed to hand walk their horses 10 minutes a day. Um, some of you might be able to lunge them or maybe um, ride them for five or 10 minutes a day. So follow your veterinarian suggestions and ask them when you can increase 
ask them if it's just straight work or circle work. And obviously they're not going to want you going around barrels or anything like that in the beginning. But for those of you that just gave your horses a summer break, um, same with those of you in the uh, snowy states that give your horse a winter break, if, let's say you gave them 30 days off, then you should give them 30 days to leg back up. If you give them 60 days off, you should probably give them at least 30 to 40 days minimum before you compete again. Um, so, you know, to get them to their fitness. So I would do every other day. That way their muscles have a chance to recover in between as well. Um, for the first month and I would probably start out with maybe 10 minutes of lunging at a walk trot both directions and then um, the first couple of weeks and then maybe 10 minutes in the saddle of just walk trot straight lines so that's about 20 minute workout and then each week add five minutes to that and I wouldn't probably be loping any circles or straightaways until they could um, be maybe into your third or fourth week. I wouldn't be loping until, you know, at least the fourth week if they were off two months, the third week if they were off for a month. Um, so just mainly walking and long trotting, mostly straight lines, some circles. And like I said, start out with 10 minutes on the ground, 10 minutes in the saddle, and then you can see how they're doing, watch how they're sweating, how they're breathing, and uh, just kind of base it on the individual horse and go from there. So, you know, it's obviously going to feel different for a horse to exercise without a rider's weight versus with a rider's weight. So that's why I think lunging is a good way to bring them back. If you have a hot walker, that's awesome. If you, you know, pony your horse behind another horse or off a golf cart or whatever, you know, whatever your thing is, some people do that with their open horses. I personally just rather have my time in the saddle than doing hot walkers and ponying. I've always been that way. The, I never had a hot walker. I would do lunging, round pin, free lunging, or lunge line for the first few minutes, but I love that time with my horse, the connection, because the groundwork is also about trust, respect, and communication of cues, but so is the um, saddle time, and I want that relationship with my horse and I, so we have teamwork I don't want to just have a conditioned horse that I have no relationship with. So now I understand when you have a lot of horses and, you know, you want to use your hot walker or something for a warm up or a cool down while you work another horse, that's all good. But um, I do think that nothing replaces saddle time. So the next question that came in was about having collection at a canner. It She feels like it falls apart. Not with all of her horses, but just her horse that's older with some arthritis and a higher headset. So I would not pick, pick, pick at them. Your horse does not need to be Western Pleasure, collected, broke, um, especially if they're never going to be doing reining or Western Pleasure. If you ever watch, if you go to a Western Pleasure show or a reining horse show and watch the warm-up pin, the way that they make those horses lope that slow and collected is almost cruel compared to how barrel racer rides. They might spend 20, 30 minutes using split reins and spurs and really jamming their hands down by their, their knees and thigh area and, and spurring those horses to back them off the bridle, but to get that head down. So, and it's, you know, it's a lot of uh, repetition, repetition. And I mean, many, 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 you know, they're cutting horses. They pay them $10 an hour for lopers. I think it's maybe $10 a half hour. I don't know. Maybe the prices have gone up, but back then they would pay a loper, just a lope a horse for 30 minutes. So, 
you know, those horses, they get done so many times that they just so tired. They just want to go slow and keep that head down. So if you ever watch a Clinton Anderson video, he will work a horse on bend and flex for 30 minutes and I'm exhausted just watching. So a lot of times it's just, you haven't done it long enough or enough. Um, most barrel racers were pretty light on our horses. We do, you know, five, 10 minutes of this, five, 10 minutes of that. And we move on to something else. You know, some of these events like Western Pleasure, raining, cutting, they put a little bit more pressure and put a little bit more to them. I don't necessarily like it personally. I don't need it because that's not what I do. You know, if I was in that discipline, maybe that'd be different. And of course, once the finished product's there, they don't have to do it so much. But to get them to that point, they had to do a lot. So um, you would have to make that decision. Is it worth it to you? Um, because she has arthritis already. So to me, I would not do it personally. All I would care about is that I had some speed control that I could put her head down vertically at a walk and a trot and at least at a lope give for a second or two, not just tuck her head vertically, but also shorten her stride and slow her speed down a little bit shifting that weight back to her hindquarters. If I could get that, I would rather do that in a big circle, small circle, or maybe spirals, a large, medium, small, medium, large. That will give me speed control without over picking, picking at them. And as long as they'll give really nicely for maybe two fence posts at a sit jog, if I can just get one fence post at a lope, you know, you know, I mean, you know, like five feet, one to, one to two fence posts is about, I mean, whatever, eight feet. And then going maybe three fence posts would be whatever, 16 feet. So if you think of it that way, you know, a dressage horse can ride, you know, for an hour into the bridle and collected, but we don't need that necessarily in our barrel horses. If we get 10, 15, 20 seconds, that's plenty uh, of training. But in the beginning, if you just get a second or two, that's fine as well. So ultimately, some horses are are made better for that. Some horses are more lazy and they're more collected. Other horses are more go and more forward. So you're definitely going to have to spend more time on it with that go horse, that more forward horse. And also a horse that's not really built for it. Or And also, um, if they just are older and, and have arthritis and stuff, there's no reason to pick at them. You really just want to keep them ha happy and healthy. As long as they're soft and supple and bending and light and responsive and it's not causing a problem, like they're not running off with you in the turns, they're rating, they stop, they back, all of those things, I wouldn't over drill on it. It would not be a big concern to me. So um, let's see. I think that's all the questions that came in this week. It's kind of a slow week. Um, someone did ask me about ground conditions. Um, what's the best way to prep ground? And again, that's going to vary too. There's no set rules on that. Obviously, you have to know your arena. If it's a, let's say it's a clay, clay sand mix, you usually want to water it good for about two inches of water minimum on, on the entire arena and then rip it 10 to 12 inches the entire arena. Then go back and smooth it where, you know, it, it would go if your horse was loping on it, it might go to the top of their hoof. Um, you know, a softness to it, but not to their ankle, not deep, um, you know, but then it's not hard pinned underneath is the whole point. And it's not dry and shifty either. You don't want where it's just three or four inches of loose and then you hit a hard pan. That's dangerous. It's slick. That's why we rip it 10 or 12 inches and then smooth it. Um, and then, of course, if you have deep sand, you may not need to rip as much, but you may want to water and then do maybe five, six inches of, of a little bit of rips because you don't want to hit a hard pan there, too. 
um, it won't hard pan like clay, but it can still get hard dirt underneath, uh, loosen it enough, and then go back and smooth it. So again, you have to know your arena, how much water it can handle based on what kind of dirt you have, whether you have sand, clay, dirt, or a combination. Um, even some arenas have man-made materials. So you just have to know your arenas and how to prepare them. So it's sometimes it's trial and error, but you definitely want to be careful. If you go to a place and you see that it's really dry and shifty, go slow. Don't risk hurting your horse. If you go somewhere and it is... Um, looking super hard and horses are slipping, stay two hands and just ease them and stand them up in those turns. Don't go to the horn and let them lay down in those turns. Um, those are all really important things to keep in track of. Um, one run is not worth a career ending injury to your horse. Um, I've, I have donated my entries and not ran and scratched if I couldn't get a refund. Um, I've not entered when I got to a place and saw that it didn't look safe. So it's just not worth it to me to hurt my horse. And with that said, I also don't run the wheels off on my horses. I don't believe they should be going every single weekend. Um, and I don't think you should go to every $30 jackpot in town. If you have a nice horse, you want to take them to arenas they'll do well in, arenas that are safe, arenas that pay good, and pick or choose. My horses usually only went twice a month. Um, they would make about 30, 40 runs a year. Uh, tops, you know, it, it, so if you think there's 12 months in a year um, and you went to, a, let's say, a few of those are super shows, usually 30 to 40 was my max. And if you look at the NFR riders, a lot of those ladies that are in the top, they're rodeo horses. They show how many rodeos they entered them. And some of them are only 25, some are 30, 40. Not all of them, but there's some of them are up to 80. So I don't, and those, those rodeos, they usually have maybe three, four horses they're running too. It's just not one horse carrying that entire burden. So, but the ladies that are running one amazing horse that's getting them to the NFR, they're conservative. They enter the ones that they will pay the best and they know their horses do well at it. So I don't think you should run your horse's legs off because eventually your horse is going to get hurt. It's just bound to happen. They're going to tear a tendon or ligament or, or get arthritis or sore joints. It's going to happen. So by resting them, they don't get sour. They don't get burnt out. Um, you start to know your horses. And if you like all of a sudden you're going every weekend and they're just not really feeling it and they're starting to have some bad runs, they're trying to tell you, look, I've busted my butt for you and I'm just over it. So sometimes you'll have a fresher horse if you go every other weekend than if you go every single week. So I would say pick and choose your runs with your horse. I think that's really, really important. So our topic today is going to be short and sweet, but it's a continuation about the rider cues. So um, as I mentioned before, we have five rider cues, eyes, voice, hands, body, and legs. And at any given time, you may be using all five or you just may be using one or two. For me, 80% should be riding with my body, which includes my eyes, my shoulders, my hips, and my seat. And that 80% is how I start from the get-go, whether it's a colt with body language on the ground, lunging them, or in the saddle, their first rides. I do everything as much as possible from my, my body and my eyes. Look where I want to go. Use my body to communicate with energy to go, energy to slow, energy to woe. And, um, and then it just flows right into my basics, my barrel training, and then eventually my competition. So obviously I'm going to be able to back that up with my voice, my hands, my legs. I always think of legs as about 
if body is 80%, that would be my calves and my feet. I want to use my calves before my feet. Um, definitely my leg before my spur um, and hug my horse before I kick. Uh, you know, so a squeeze before a kick as well. So, you know, you can use your voice easy. I talked about that in there easy going to the alleyway or, you know, good boy, good girl when you're done. Um, smooching, clucking for more impulsion. Um, talking to them like whoa or here for rate or turn as well. Um, there's just so many ways to communicate with your horse that would prevent you from having to use as much rain cue. I think of reins as 2%. Even though they're 2%, your hand cues are so, so important. And that's why this week, um, you know, last week was eyes. Where you look is where you go. You should be looking between their ears um, straight or longer when you're going to the barrels or a quarter turn ahead, spot one, two, and three in the turns or in the circle, there'll be four quarter turns, so four spots. But in a, in a turn, there's three spots. So those are all things to consider when you're um, when you're doing your uh, your riding. Pay attention all the time where you're looking. So even if you're lope, loping a circle or maybe following the fence line down your arena, pay attention. Do I look between my horse's ears or am I looking down at the ground? Um, you know, you can look between your horse's ears at the ground, but don't be looking down their neck because that's going to make your pocket or circle get smaller. Um, it also can cause some anticipation because you go from looking between the ears, which has your your shoulders back and your chest open, to looking down at the ground, to slumping your shoulders and folding your chest down a little. And that all means rate to a horse. Um, and it could possibly mean turn as well, especially if you go to your inside hip versus your outside hip or sitting square in the saddle. So, um, so definitely um, important all those cues and how you use them, especially when you go faster because everything happens so much faster. So think of it, um, you know, last week we did talk about eyes and voice. And right now hands is a tough one for people. I think of it as um, keeping my hands as much as I can in a six inch box in front of my saddle horn. Do they get out to the side a little bit sometimes? Yes, especially if you go flat knuckle and you're just guiding your horse in a turn. The further you are from a barrel, the more they might be out to the side a little bit. So they might, your six inch box might've just moved six inches to the side of your horse. You don't want them pulling over the barrels. So let's say you're close to the barrel, then your hand's certainly gonna be closer to your horse's mane. Um, you wouldn't want your hand over the barrel if you're close to the barrel. Can your hand be out to the side a little bit if you're further from the barrel? Absolutely, because once again, you're guiding. You're, you may bump the horse to start or turn. You may bump the horse to come back to you if they get deep. You may bump the horse to finish a turn with your hand. Um, barrel racing is a lot like English. It's direct rein. So left to go left, right to go right. We don't neck rein much. Um, it, you know, I do have all my horses trained in neck rein. That way, if I want to do rollbacks or trail riding, I can obviously use neck reining. Um, but if I, but in barrel racing, it's mostly going to be following a direct rein cue. And if your reins are short, it might feel like a combination of a direct and a neck. Cause sometimes you'll see your photos or, or see, watch a video that I post in the group and there'll be some, 
the direct rain with some rain pressure on the neck and that's because our reins are short and sometimes we get caught in a photo or in a video in a moment where we put pressure on for our horse to come back to us and then we give it back. So just because you see your hand out of position in a photo or some neck rein pressure, it doesn't necessarily mean you did something wrong. It could just be that you were caught in that moment of your bump before the release. But obviously if you're not releasing and you're holding, then you need to work on that. And, um, and range should be that give and take pressure or bump and release or soften and release or shape and release. However you want to call it, there has to be a release. So it could be a bump, it could be a shape, it could be a pinky roll, you know, and, and that's one thing you got to think about too, when you're doing your hand cues, you may do, um, you may do your hand up an inch or back an inch or back and up an inch, or you might just roll or twist your pinky under, um, it just depends on the individual horse. If your horse is lazy, your hands might be, I have like six hand positions. Go cue, where your hand's extended, where your elbows are almost locked forward. Rate cue, where your hands, elbows soften, and they're even to your sides. They're not pulled back be, beyond your, your hips, but they're even with your hips. And um, that's your rate cue. And that might be a two-hand bump or just a neutral, stay right there. Or it could be a one-hand bump with that. Um, and the bumps can be done in the go position or the rate position. And the bumps can be up an inch, up and back an inch, or just a pinky twist. Um, again, usually it's thumbs up when you're riding in straight lines or um, if you're, you know, just in general. But sometimes we go flat knuckle in the turns and our hands will get closer to the mane or to the side just a little. And that's because we're trying to let our horses work and stay out of their way. So we'll put our hand low and forward in the middle of their neck. Um, hands can be very complicated for people and it's often the biggest mistake. So even though I say 2% on hands, it is often the one that gets people in trouble because sometimes people are 80% hands and only, you know, 2% body and that's wrong. Um, you don't want to communicate that way to your horse. So your body is saying go and your hands are saying pull or turn or rate. And that's confusing to a horse, especially if you don't ride that way on a regular basis. Um, I do think a hand and leg should back up a voice and a body um, or your eyes. Um, but I do think, again, the percentages need to be correct. Um, I often tease girls in lessons and say, pretend like you're holding baby chicks in your hands or, or a raw egg and you don't want to, you know, choke the baby chick or break the egg. And that makes you think, wow, you know, I do need to lighten my hands because if you're getting calluses, obviously you're using too much hands. If your muscles are bulging in your, in your, uh, what are those, the biceps, the, the muscle up in your upper arm. If that's, um, you know, bulging, you're obviously pulling on your reins too hard. So you have to look and see, do I need a different bit? Um, do I need to work on communicating better with my horse? Do I need to get a softer, lighter horse? You know, all these things are things to consider, um, getting back to basics and making sure that you have a solid foundation on your horse, but also making sure that your adrenaline's not taking over. Sometimes we can force a horse to hit a barrel with their nose because we're pulling on their face so much. Sometimes we can overbend a horse's head and neck in the turn and cause them to float a shoulder or swing a butt because we're pulling on the rein and not releasing. 
and our body's not sitting and rating our horse correctly. Um, there is a time where you're going to be driving with your legs out of a turn, but there's going to be a time where you're going to be sitting down and backing off so your horse can rate and collect. It's no different than when you're driving a truck and you're coming up to a corner, you back off the gas pedal in order for the vehicle to make a tight turn if you didn't you would end up in the ditch so if you're on a horse and you're going full blast and you don't back off the throttle you're going to have a wide turn instead of a tight turn so and your horse is waiting for those cues in most cases in the beginning it might be 80 20 you do most and your horse does 20 and you do 80 and then as you get more trained you're doing 60 percent. your horse is doing 40 percent. but some glorious day two three years down the road it's 50 50 and it should be uh, like a dance team, except you're the guy you're leading and your horse is a girl and they're following. So in the sense of I'll ask my horse to go, they go. I ask my horse to rate, they rate. I ask my horse to turn, they turn. But I don't do it for them. I trust them to do their end of the job. I do my job, they do their job. My job is to look and ride it to my spots and give them clear cues to go, rate, and turn. And then I just let them do their job. I don't do their job and micromanage them. So I think those are all really important things when you're talking about rider cues. Um, timing and feel is probably one of the hardest things to communicate in a lesson to a rider. Some people have natural timing and feel with horses. Other people have to really work at it. Um, but it can be done. You just have to work at it. You have to practice at it. And timing and feel is going to change from horse to horse. You know, does one horse need one ounce of hand pressure with two pounds of leg pressure? Does another horse need, you know, vice versa, less leg and maybe more hand? Um, you know, it depends on their sensitivity. Are they dull? Are they reactive? Are they uh, pushy? Are they sensitive? You know, are they a go horse? Are they a woe horse? There's so many things. And, you know, I've ridden thousands of horses in my life and I've helped thousands of riders and every single horse and rider combination is slightly different. Um, there's not too many horses that I feel like, hey, I need to get on to see if that's you or your horse. A lot of times um, I can just, you know, watch and say, try this, try that. And, and I, we can get it worked out. But in a lot of cases, a horse can have more buttons than the rider knows how to use. And those are the riders that need to be in lessons and um, spending more time in the saddle and getting to where they know how to have timing and feel and get those things accomplished with your horse. You know, if you can't lope a big and small circle, and I'm not meaning five foot circles, I'm talking about a 10 foot circle. So like a 60 and a 10 foot with one rein, with one hand on the rein, you really don't have a solid relationship with your horse yet. So I feel like one-handed circles are so important. If you ride two-handed all the time, you're never going to get where you can communicate with your horse with just your body and legs. One-handed riding tattles on how broke our horses are to body language. If you're constantly having to use balance rein and two hands to keep your circles pretty, then your horse and you don't have enough independence to work where they'll just work off your body and um, less rain or leg. So those would be really, really good goals. And um, there's not one of you, not one of you that are in my group or one of my clients for lessons clinics or the virtual that do not need to go back to basics during the week. 
you will go back to basics the rest of your life. I have more beginners asking for advanced clinics than advanced people asking for advanced clinics because advanced writers know it's important to go back to basics during the week, slow things down, get things right. It's the small things, weight in my inside stirrup, weight in my outside stirrup, weight in both of my hips evenly, shoulders even, hand positions just right. And the other things to think about is, you know, when you're shaping a horse, um, you're, when you're, you know, in a circle, your inside hand would be higher than your outside hand. Your outside hand should never be higher than your inside hand. Just those little tiny things make a huge difference. You know, can you counter arc your horse in a circle into a rollback? Um, you know, again, the three circle drill, nose in, nose out and head down. Those are all really important things to go back to basics during the week, just to work on transitions from, you know, walk, trot, walk, lope, trot, walk, lope, walk, you know, transition up, transition down, um, straight line circles, just all these different things get these horses that are in such a uh, high adrenaline forward timed event to come back and pay attention. So it's almost like they become untrained after competition and we have to go back and get that collection and that focus back. And sometimes that means scoring in the alleyway. Sometimes that means hauling just to ride them around in an arena and do slow work. Um, you know, if you have a horse that can't walk on the trail, that's sad. You know, your horse should be able to go on a relaxing trail ride. Um, you know, do other things with your horses. Go track some cows. You know, my old ranch, I lived on 500 acres with about 60 mamas and a bunch of babies and a couple bulls out there. So we tracked cows all the time, went through the woods, up and down the hills, through the ponds. All my horses love trail riding. But I cannot tell you how many training horses came in that could not even open and close a gate to go out into the cow pasture. They thought gates were strictly to run through from being barrel horses. So I would spend maybe 15, 20 minutes, sometimes longer on just opening and closing a gate. You can't leave the gate open, the cows will get out. So I'd have to spin it and I'm not gonna get off and do it. I'm, I, I'm adamant that the horse needs to learn how to patiently stand next to a gate, you know, maybe side pass a step or two to the gate to hook it. And um, uh, these are all things that you really need to focus on. Go for a trail ride when the weather gets nice again. Um, go work some cows with a friend, you know, even if it's just bringing the herd in, whatever, when they go to doctor their cattle or something. Um, you know, take them to a team sorting or team penning. That's some of the funnest stuff I ever did with my horses. Um, it's good for them. It's, it's just a nice break for them. You know, haul to a practice night and just do slow work. You know, pretend you're a Western Pleasure horse or a rating horse. Don't even go do fast work like you're doing barrels. You know, focus on your basics, your fundamentals. Um, you know, just go do bending and suppling work or relaxing work. Just make it a no pressure night. All those things are so, so important. I promise you, I'm going to wrap up now and finish this podcast, but I promise you, 50% of barrel racing is mental game for you and your horse. And the other 50% is skill. You have to pay attention to both. And that is why every month I have a mindset challenge and every month I have a skill challenge. And this month is controlling your thoughts and feelings um, for your mindset and uh, taking negatives and turning them into positives and also um, goal setting and things like that. But also the... Uh, skill, rider cues, 
we could spend, you know, more than four weeks on just that. So I really want you to pay attention to yourself this month and uh, really focus on the details. Remember, you're trying to communicate with five parts of your horse, the head, the neck, the shoulder, the rib cage, and the hip. Those five parts with your five rider cues will eventually connect to that horse's mind. And then hoof placement. Start to pay attention when you work a circle. When is the inside hind pivot foot under? You feel when your horse is ready to do a rollback because their hind foot is up underneath them, that their inside hind foot when you're going to roll back is underneath. Um, pay attention to when you want to do a lateral movement. Is it the left front or the right front that making the movement? Um, no hoof placement, no no mental game, know when your horse is connected to you, their ears or their eyes. If they've got an ear cocked on you, they're paying attention to you. If they've got two ears forward, they're looking at something else. Um, you know, know your horse's ears, know your horse's eyes, know their expressions. Um, just know your horse, every possible aspect, you know, palpate them before you ride them after, get your hands on them, touch their necks, their backs, their legs, feel for heat, feel for, um, sensitive areas, you know, how they act when you cinch them up, just pay attention, know your horse. They can't tell you in words like our words, but they tell you in their words, um, through their body language, through their eyes, their ears, their body reactions, um, you know, their feet, things that they do, they tell you what's going on. So anyways, um, ride with heart means to give a hundred percent inside and outside the arena, but it also means to put that horse first. So I know most people that have been with TLC, um, I have people that are 1D pros and competitive or people just starting out. But the one thing I feel like all of my clients have in common that stick with me over the years is that they love horses first and foremost and just want to keep it fun and um, and learn while they're having fun and, and putting their horse first. So thank you guys for tuning in as always. Ride with heart and God bless.